Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast which asks which movies are well worth watching and remembering for all time. Every episode, we discuss a different piece of film history to decide if it should make its way into our movie vault. Filled with questions, trivia, and crazy challenges, it's the perfect way to deep dive into a myriad of movies. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a glimpse of what to expect in today's episode. I think this might be the first time we've had a guest on an episode directly call out something said by another guest <laughs> yeah. on a previous episode. Sorry. It's probably good karma because Craig is just like Mary's favorite film <laughs> with the lovely. Oh, Frenzy. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like where he's like, you know, Mary, I don't understand you. <laughs> you know, it's that element. So we no, have... that's why many therapists have tried. <laughs> <laughs> right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that asks which movies are well worth watching and which deserve to be remembered for all time. I'm your host, David Oscar, and I am joined by my co-host, America's top paralegal, it's Sandra Bullock. I swear to God. <laughs> or is that Julia Roberts? You make one damn mistake and you think he gives you leverage over the rest of my life. Considering the theming of this film, I was like, I think this is the safest choice I can go with without offending somebody. Oh yeah, I mean, you are treading lightly given recent circumstances, I'll give you that. And uh, Craig, how do you feel genre-wise now this week? We've gone from musicals to drama, which again, in some ways is, a, you know, kind of refreshing for us and uh, carries on the kind of like newness which we're having this year. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that we've not we've not fully approached to a significant extent before. Um, and I'm at, and especially considering one that was advertised to us as a comedy drama. Uh, I feel that this film definitely takes uh, an innovative approach to this idea of being a comedy drama uh, for one important way that I cannot wait to talk about when we actually get to the episode. Okay, that'll that'll be interesting, sure. Uh, But for now, (laughs) we are talking about a different film. And uh, one of those joining us is like the ghost of Christmas past, as she is in VHS Corner and last joined us on Muppets Christmas Carol talking about her favourite character. (laughs) It's Mary Munoz. Hello, Mary. Hello, I thought you were just talking about my complexion there. <laughs> it's like David's been a rough winter in Scotland, okay? I'm a wee bit pale. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like the idea of you uh, ripping him at uh, the beginning uh, beginning of the recording session, so decided to just completely insult you in, in episode. <laughs> just flow into my physical appearance? Okay, that's fine. Hey, I've been to a country with sun. <laughs> Who's the person who has the least sun here? <laughs> Target them. <laughs> No, I would not do that. Uh, um, so, yeah, how are you, Mary? Really good. Uh, really glad to be back on the pod with you guys. Um, slightly intrigued to hear all your takes on on this because the first time watch for me. So, yeah, looking forward mm. to it. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. It was a mix for me of being like how how much uh, first time watch and how much experience do people have of this, and sometimes that is the most exciting when like you know there's less known about the film. Um, but as you said, you're you're coming back after um, a few 
films you joined us for at the end of last year. Now, based on some of your experiences there, Mary, I have some good news and I have some bad news. Okay. Which which do you want first? Uh, I'll take the bad news first, please. Uh, well, the bad news you already know. Julia Roberts is in this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fine. That's fine. I'm over it now, yeah. just. The good news is that uh, some chaos went down on High School Musical, on Rocky Horror Picture Show, in which we went off on tangents about very weird and random things. So I thought you might just be happy to know that it isn't just you when you're on these episodes that these weird... I'm always beginning to feel like a bit of a jinx. Yeah, so I'm really glad. I'm, I'm saving up the Rocky Horror eh, ones. I'm going through to... I've got some travel to do next week for work, so I'm saving them up for listening. Eh, on the, I've, I've never seen High School Musical. So uh, I get I'm going into that completely blind to listen to it, which I, I quite like as well. Yeah, as as I think uh, you interestingly said when you were on that episode, you you felt you dodged a bullet, yes. <laughs> which I thought was fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, should be an interesting discussion for this film, especially as you know it has got children in in it as well. We were talking earlier, Mary. Your intro to the cast would be a lot different, I think, to what Craig's will be later if yours if you were to do it. What would be the the brief glimpse of that as as to how you said it? Uh, well, it would be girl with bad fringe or only male child because I didn't bother learning names because I don't like kids. <laughs> I just love to see like uh, Siskel and Ebert, you know, Jonathan Ross on, you know, film 2024. Somebody used to say that like, and the cast of this film is one man and the rest I'm not mentioning because I don't Isn't like Isn't that kids. basically <laughs> just what honest trailers just do? They just rename all the characters to just weird things. Pretty much, yeah. And as I say, I just um, because they were sort of interchangeable in their whining throughout a lot of this as well, I was just like, oh, well, get a fringe and only male child who weirdly reminded me of Dave. That, that was your chance in which you you could have been like a very pale, ill-looking child, which reminded me of Dave. He did have a bowl cut, <laughs> so I was going to keep that for later, but now that you've brought it up, okay. bowl cut child who reminded me of Dave. <laughs> <laughs> this image of David is just being created. I just have this now image of David being a kid and just like, I'm going to try and be a magician and just being beaten up even more. Oh. Sorry, not laughing at you being beaten up, but I do think of you as this like wholesome angelic child with little dimples. And, I, yeah. I actually just thought to myself, I was like, how does Craig know I was beaten up? Oh yeah, Craig beat me up once. <laughs> <laughs> We're going there. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. I feel like it wouldn't have been undeserved. <laughs> So yeah, Mary, we uh, look forward to seeing what chaos ensues uh, later on. Uh, but also helping us uh, is somebody who at this stage surely has a permanent armchair outside the movie vault. It's Stefanos Florakis. Hello, Stefanos. I didn't expect so much bullying on children already. Like, <laughs> dear Lord. <laughs> you you have clearly come to the wrong podcast then. I, I Also, if my boss happens to be listening to this episode, disclaimer, I don't bully children. This is like Anymore. a recurring theme, which you had to say similar thing in the High School Musical episode. <laughs> like, it's the thing is, I had a notepad right here. I typed down possible intros to make when they will make the introduction for me. I had a joke about my face. Uh, I had a joke about talking about a family of divorce. But you just guys went on like ripping those poor children. And I was like, there's nothing I can say to save this. So, hi, happy new year. <laughs> I didn't. Everyone has suffered enough. I didn't. Mary is ill and pale. <laughs> I, I I got beat up. <laughs> I didn't. I, uh, on the record, I do not agree with the statements of my fellow podcasters. <laughs> Just to let anyone know, because uh, hell. Uh, but yeah, no, it's good to be here. Um, happy New Year to all of you. And yeah, um, 
looking forward to discuss about this film, which not gonna lie, out of all the films I've been in here for, this is definitely the most tame one. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm 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 happy to be here, and I'm trying. I'm wondering to what kind of direction we're going to take because we already great starts. So I can't wait to what happens in uh, an hour or so. So in last episode, uh, we had a lot of singing and dancing. So we had an end game all about the singing and the dancing, where I read out the lyrics of songs that had various dance move instructions and people had to say what film the song was from. In the end, Shelley was able to come out victorious and she decided that the link she wants to go for to take us away from the musicals route was go down the Susan Sarandon route and specifically go for uh, a film that she said always manages to make her cry. And that film being Stepmom. Okay, so the basic sum, uh, so the basic summary of this film: uh, Anna and Ben, the two children of Jackie and Luce, must cope with the fact that their parents divorced, and their father is now with a successful photographer, Isabel. She does her best to treat the kids in a way that makes them still feel at home when they're with their dad, but she also loves her work and doesn't plan to give it up. But full-time mother Jackie finds Isabel's efforts offensively insufficient and can't understand that work can be important to her as well as her kids. The conflict between them is deepened by the sudden diagnosis of cancer, which might be deadly for Jackie. They all have to learn a little in order to grow together. Ben! Come on, honey! Get up, get up, get up! You do your best to raise the children. Anna, you forgot to wash my shirt. I told you a hundred times, today is purple shirt day at school. You do your best to care for them. Come on, Dan! But no matter how much you love them, on, ben, please, you'll please. never measure up Mommy! to their mother. Mm, I think I can handle it from here, Isabel. This holiday season... Did she remember your lunch? Ah. TriStar Pictures presents... Three short years since our divorce, Lucas seen a number of women. For the past year, I've seen one woman after a lot of thought, careful kids, to dis- He's living with a woman half his age. Isabel's not half my age. Julia Roberts. Your kids keep on hating me. Oh, come on, don't say that. They don't hate you. What? Anna, what do you think? Well, it kind of smells like you, and I'm allergic to you, too. Academy Award winner Susan Sarandon. I think Isabel's pretty. Yeah. Does she like big teeth? <laughs> Ed Harris. You think it's easy for Jackie to watch her kids being looked after? <laughs> A woman who's no experience being a mother? You want to take a 12-year-old girl to a Pearl Jam concert on a school night? Just thought it would be something nice that she and I could do together. It's ridiculous. Of course Jackie's going to be hostile, irrational. Pearl Jam? Yeah. On a school night? Mm-hmm. We are going out. Oh, Mom. Isn't my mom the coolest? Mommy. What, sweetie? If you want me to hate her, I will. From the director of Mrs. Doubtfire and the Academy Award-winning producer of Forrest Gump. You didn't ask me if I wanted a new mother. You didn't even ask me if I liked her. Comes a story. I never wanted to be a mom. And believe it or not, I am trying. About the tears that are inevitable. People make mistakes. Anna, you do not run out on your mother. No, that's your job. And the joy that is possible. And your whole life's happiness is wrapped up in you. You know every story, every wound. You'll learn. When two women share one family. So, uh, one of the many films directed by Christopher Columbus, obviously we know him specifically for uh, lots of classics, such as the first two Home Alone films, the first two Harry Potter films, the first two Percy Jackson films, 
So he very much likes to deal in uh, like doubles in this situation, which is why I'm surprised there hasn't been a stepmom to stepdad. So obviously we have direct, uh, him in the director's seat. We have writing credits for Ronald Bass, Karen Lee Hopkins, Jesse Nelson, Steve Rogers, good old captain, uh, uh, Gigi Levangle. You have editing by Neil Travis. You have cinematography by Donald McAlpine. You have art direction by Ray Kluger, uh, composed by John Williams, of course. So cast in this film that we have uh, a couple of big names specifically. So as Isabel Kelly, the stepmother in this situation, we have Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts obviously being a big uh, a big name known for films such as Pretty Woman, Erin Brockovich, My Best My Best Friend's Wedding, and several other films. And as already pointed out, is different from Sandra Bullock. We have in the role of uh, Jackie Harrison, we have Susan Sarandon, who obviously we covered uh, we covered a little bit last week uh, from Rocky Horror Picture Show, but is also known for uh, a number of other roles, such as, say, in Thelma and Louise, Dead Man Walking, uh, A Client, many others. You have uh, in the role of Luke Harrison, we have Ed Harris. Ed Harris, having, play, having been involved in several films such as Appaloosa, Pollock, The Truman Show, and Apollo 13. You have, as one of the annoying children, or as I guess the character was called, Anna Harrison, we have uh, Jenna Malone. Jenna, uh, being on this podcast before in the role of Neon uh, Neon Demon, but has also appeared in uh, several of the Hunger Games films, as well as Contact. And finally, for the main sort of cast, we have, as Ben Harrison, we have uh, Liam Eichen. Uh, Liam having appeared in a series of unfortunate events, uh, Road to Perdition, and also in one of his many child roles in the lead role of Good Boy. So yeah, this is the film that we'll be discussing in this week's episode. Right, so let's talk all about Stepmom from 1998 and ask the question of whether it deserves the honour of a place in our movie vault, our vault that encapsulates memorable movies for all time. Um, now, as Craig mentioned there, this is directed by Chris Columbus, who is very famous for doing a lot of kind of like big movies, which sort of like tug on the heartstrings, uh, feature child actors, uh, have big scores with John Williams, etc. Um, has really sort of made some of like the classic kind of like wholesome movies a lot of people kind of remember from childhood, um, a bit like Spielberg in a way, but just not so much in name. And I think like the movies that we often talk about on here, uh, it's re very reflective of the time coming out in the 90s. So once again, uh, we're going to look at the history of uh, the time this film came out. So we're going to look at 1998 to give a bit of context. Yeah, get ready for this, lads. Yeah, <laughs> to give a bit more context of the time period it was made. So to follow up on uh, last time's episode, as Craig will be uh, dying to know, <laughs> there's a... a the important IRA report, uh, both the Good Friday peace agreement and Belfast agreements were signed in this year. So uh, that, that's how that continued. That's why I was teeing up last time, obviously. Also, interestingly for this film, President Clinton was impeached for perjury and obstruction of justice after sexual relations with his intern. <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> in this year, Windows 98 was released by Microsoft on June 26. Google, the search engine, was founded. Apple, Computers unveiled the iMac. 
Talking Barney was one of the year's biggest toys. Popular music included Chumbawamba, Spice Girls and Shania Twain, while the big films of the year included Armageddon, The Mask of Zorro, A Bug's Life and Saving Private Ryan. So we all feel in the, the 90s nostalgia from that. You have forgotten one thing. And on that year, the Titanic crossed $1 billion on the box office, being the first of its kind. Yeah, that would be a relevant thing to bring up on a film podcast. <laughs> I was thinking, do I mention Titanic? But then I'm like... As opposed to it's going from la- last episode's like discussion of, of like horrible Irish politics to just... In other news, we had a sex pest as an American president at one point. Yeah, and it's happening again. <laughs> That's what I thought was relevant. And this film is all about relationships and stuff. I was like, this is relevant, I think. <laughs> it it gives context to the film, Craig. If people wanted <laughs> to see more smut on screen once it happened, and they could have been a lot more smut after this film. Titanic, I thought, well, it's a 1997 film, so I was a bit like, I don't want to kind of like take away from Armageddon and Save Private Ryan's kind yeah, of... Yeah, you say 97, but we had that film in cinemas for like a whole bloody year, another one. It's yeah. like, we could never <laughs> yeah. escape it. I really remember it and i was only like what three four years old and i still remember everyone watching this film yeah because i think like we said talking about chris columbus and when this came out you know it, to me that you know there's a lot of kind of 90s-ness in this film when aside from just like this specifically what what would you say you think of mary when you think of like a 90s movie you know do you think this is indicative of that I think so to a certain extent. The cast obviously is the main sort of giveaway. Julia Roberts was pretty much everywhere in the 90s. But even just looking at it, like I actually made a note. I, I love all that 90s clashing decor they had in the because houses were always huge in 90s films. And they have these huge big houses and like the wallpaper clashes with the bed sheet that clashes with the carpet that clashes with the curtains. And I, that's what made me feel very nostalgic watching it actually was just that was such a 90s thing was these huge houses with the most God awful decor ever. Um, and then of course the actors themselves would be in 16,000 patterns or like a cute hat at a jaunty angle. So I feel like it's it's very of its time when you watch it. Yeah, definitely. Apart from having like the history of 1998, I, I did have in my head the kind of like Americanisms of this film in terms of like, you know, checkbox of like, it must be autumn at some point. There must be orange leaves. It has to be Halloween at some point. Someone has to have a big job in NYC. Someone uh, needs to have a house with a tire swing on the branch. Uh, There needs to be- There has to be an awkward take about Thanksgiving. Yes. Uh, There needs to be a big white staircase in in the hallway of the house, you know? So yeah, it definitely ticks all those boxes. I would also add choreographing on very big- quotes right there, uh, moments of the lead characters dancing on a popular song just randomly happening in the middle of the film and going around the sets. That happens a lot, which I didn't realize. Like it happened on Mermaids, it happens on Practical Magic, uh, some other films I've forgotten right now, but it is a very 90s thing. And yeah, and also the fact that somehow they're all rich, they're very rich. Like, I'm still thinking about the whole estate with horses, and I'm like, having that today is like, oh, dear Lord, I wish. <laughs> like, I've become so old right now that I'm looking at these kind of films, and I'm just thinking, only if I had that life. Uh, which I kind of think that's the whole point of American films in the 90s, very much showing the idealistic way of life uh, in the U.S. And it was that decade that they supposedly had the 
the the, the overexpansion of businesses. They had a larger income. Uh, we suddenly are forgetting all the horrible things that they have done in the seventies and eighties. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I always call it the denial decade. Uh, uh, because of all those things that we just discussed uh, of that way of living and then starting changing again to something a bit more critical and self-aware in the 2000 to 2010s uh, because of some events which I'm not going to discuss right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I the, the 90s is a very weird decade for me because uh, for one, it's obviously part of my childhood. So I grew up with a lot of that kind of culture, but also because um, it's, it's, it's a strange one now to look back at it because there were both some really terrible films. Then there were some terrible films that actually were really good. There were some good films, but with some issues, some brilliant films that were still like, you know, hold to like high to a high degree right now, or other films that they were thought that were great, but now we kind of backtracked a lot. Uh, like one of those, like Bravehearts. I, I don't think any of us speak about Bravehearts ever again, besides because of the director. Uh, but yeah, it's a very strange decade for me because I can't pinpoint exactly what makes that decade the decade that it was. Because yes, yeah, sure, Stepmom very much looks like a 90s family film. But whenever I think of a 90s, I think about them, but I also think... Uh, the period uh, adventure dramas or the greedy like neo-noir thrillers so it's a very strange one and as well uh, we talked about it earlier but animated films became huge then like and people started becoming more aware of uh, like, like uh, anime and uh, Studio Ghibli as well so it's a fascinating decade to look at um <laughs> But there are some things where which have become a lot more critical, which we'll get to it more when we speak about the film itself. But yeah, no, fascinating uh, time capsule, to say the least. And I think, I guess, you know, on reflection, that's why you know Titanic is also so relevant because it's indicative of you know that kind of idea of idealism of romance. Um, but also then when you do look at, uh, you know, I mentioned Bugs Life that, you know, that even though that isn't to the success maybe of uh, other Pixar films, it is just showing the rise of that studio. Um, but then you've got things like Zorro and stuff, which is, you know, the more fun adventure time stuff. But I think, yeah, you had historical stuff, you know, like uh, Braveheart's a good example of not aging well. I think, you know, having a Scott on the podcast here, we, we can't not have a one sentence summary from Mary, just as that's been mentioned. The Battle of Starling Bridge does not take place on a bridge in that <laughs> film, and I will never forget that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all that needs to be said then. Uh, His accent is good though, so I'll give him that. Okay, okay. But yeah, I think that this film is also addictive of just the idea of like, something so so simple in in terms of this storyline being made to this degree as well you know whether i i'm seen specifically about the budget and stuff but again you know it was a lot more common to see something like this be maybe one of the top films of the year or to be quite successful to have a big run on vhs on rental and to have somebody like chris columbus make this like spielberg um, which i think still happens to a degree with some of those big directors but yeah you wouldn't see so much like a story about divorce, you know, making its way, you know, onto this sort of big Hollywood production with John Williams, etc. That's more left to the 
you know, Netflix and Amazon Primes uh, more more often. Um, in terms of experience with this film, then, as I said at the top, but you know, it was in my head, I, I assumed that we had kind of like a mix uh, here. So, Stefanos, what was your experience with Stepmom before um, sort of rewatching it for, for the episode? It's not much of an experience, it's more like it was always one of those films that was on TV um, like every three or four months. Um, and uh, I remember as well, it was always one of the films that we put uh, either just before or just after Christmas, um, which I never realized why. Now while we're watching it, I realized why. Um, but yeah, no, I I remember watching it. Like, that's the thing. I remember watching it multiple times, but it never properly stayed in. It was never one of those films that I would purposely, you know, go into uh, in, uh, on, on the TV and started and watching it or renting it on a on a video shop um but i always was aware of it because you know like we said julia roberts was a huge deal in the 90s everyone knew her and susan sarandon as well was big in her own regard as well but i've never properly had a second thought about it to be honest it was always one of those like for what the way I was thinking, typical '90s family dramas that I felt that I had seen—not necessarily the specific concept, but the specific style of filmmaking—that I never particularly thought about it more to what it is. Um, but yeah, that's more or less to my relationship with that. Um, but also the fact that. I know, like, I've seen things from everyone who took who took part in this film. So, uh, whenever I would think about them, or if I like think about Julia Roberts, I would never particularly think about Stepmom. I would always think about her other films, uh, like Pretty Woman, like uh, uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, which I think is my personal favorite. And then was just surrounded and was thinking the more dramatic stuff, like Dead Man Walking. Um, and to layer on what she did in in the two thousands, but and then of, and then Ed Harris, which we're gonna talk about him later. Uh, I I was always been a, a fan of his work, and I and I do believe I in the same time when I watched that mom, I think I was I watched the Truman Show, and the Truman Show was the one that did the biggest sort of like like wow factor for Harris to what he is able to do. Uh, but that doesn't mean he's not good in this. But uh, but yeah, but overall, I think it's a fine film to what it is. Um, and But yeah, but it could have been better. But even then, it did like over $100 million in uh, the box office back then, which, you know, it's unheard of right now for family drama to do that. So, so what do I know? Mary, you said that this was a new one for you as well. So um, what, what's your kind of like relationship with these kind of like more romantic drama type films? You've obviously talked a lot about like horror and stuff in the past. Um, is, is this your bag? Is, you know, is this the type of films you'd usually go for? No, I'm not a family drama type of gal. Um, hadn't heard of it before, as I say, and I was very much around and going to cinema in 1998. But weirdly, when I saw the poster for it, I was like, oh, I do remember the poster. Um, would never have pitched it as a comedy drama at all. Um, but yeah, I have a lot of feelings about this, so I'm excited to get stuck in. 
without getting into too much detail, if you replaced this cast with random people that you'd never heard of, this would just be another shit made-for-TV Hallmark drama. Fair, fair. It's going off the, the Braveheart thing that earlier you were like, here's my one-line summary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty effective. I feel like it's going to be me and you, Mary, against the world. Uh, <laughs> I, I am with you 100% on this. Let's do it. Let's take them on. <laughs> Steph, what, what's your sort of overall thoughts? Well, what do I begin? Um, <laughs> You'd already said that you didn't agree with us from the beginning about annoying children, etc. But I assume from then your talk about Julia Roberts, you don't agree with the Julia Roberts hate, which I guess, Mary, you should also establish that the, the, or set this up. I just want to be very clear about this. I don't hate Julia Roberts, but I just get a vibe that she's a dick. Okay. Like yeah. in real life, I can imagine she's one of these people that's like, do not make eye contact with me while I'm on set. This is based on absolutely nothing. I have never read or heard anything bad said against her. This is just something I've made up in my own head. Fair. fair. Allegedly, just in case she decides to sue. <laughs> this is like in in the Simpsons when they have the like, uh, we would like to apologize to the you know following people for like all the times we have like you know misreported something. And it's like this big list like do do do. That would be like where the recent Well Good Movies chat was just filled with people who uh, Well Good Movies crew members are like, like I don't like them because of something which I can't tell you about, including Tom Hanks. And I'm like I won't, I won't name them on here, but if they want to mention that. In a future episode they can i was like what tom hanks but i i, I guess i can i can see it but yeah stevanos was there anything that changed for you basically on a kind of rewatch for this i definitely appreciated a lot of the things i was trying to do that's the thing like i appreciated that it was the film that it was uh the fact that chris columbus tried to, to sort of take a swing to something a bit more um again big quotes on that serious um something a bit more more grounded something that a lot of people have been dealing with um, especially during the 90s because while i was watching i started realizing oh yeah our generation is technically the first generation that will have an experience of like a massive number of divorces because divorces weren't like a big thing for a long time until the late 80s and early 90s. That is when suddenly it became this big sort of like realization that, oh, actually we don't need to stay married if we are happy. So, you know, we could take our own separate parts. But like, I definitely admired that. I did, sometimes it felt a bit educational. And I mean that, that, you, like there were moments or conversations that that some of the cats will have with each other uh, or the adults will have with the children to sort of be more warm with the idea of your parents being divorced and having a step-parent, uh, you know, coming in, which one, I appreciate it. It's definitely a, a nice thing to do. Uh, but at the same time, you're, you cut, you, you, you kind of focus too much on your self-importance than trying to make a compelling, like, um, not compelling, it's, it's a harsh word, uh, emotionally investing uh, story. Because uh, up to that point, actually, we had a lot of 
even before then, there were a lot of films about marriage relationships and breakups that that they have a really good effects that you're really like taking you into those relationships into those characters and sort of understanding everything. But here it felt like let's let's not pull any punches on Julia Roberts. Let's absolutely hate her for no reason. And and in it felt like and you, I mean I understand it's that's the comedy part of it. Cause what it's what what it's what what is funnier than having two little spoiled brats like making her life miserable even after she gets them a puppy, which not gonna lie, after the puppy, I'm like, I'm, I'm with Isabel. I'm with her. I'm like, she got a puppy. I'm, I'm what the hell? <laughs> like, no one got me a puppy. So I want a puppy. Um, <laughs> that puppy so, was adorable. Though, yeah. I know, right? Uh, but then there's the little voice in my head that I was thinking that, oh, that dog's probably dead right now. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It was 98. Tell me one dog that is like, uh, well, like okay. over over 25. Um, but yeah, no. But overall, I felt he had good intentions. Um, the acting was great. I'll say that. The acting was good. Like the, uh, like Susan and Joe Roberts, the one particular scene in the, uh, in the restaurant at the end was very very good. I that was the part which I felt that it worked on the moment. I don't feel if it worked for the overall film because all of a sudden it became a very different film for me. This is where the part which I'm like, oh okay, why do I feel this is suddenly became a, into a gay film? <laughs> and this is actually a relationship about them too, which I have thought about it multiple times. Where there were moments that just the two of them and taking care of the children, and the way they were talking to each other, and I'm like, I, I literally looked at my husband when we were watching it at the same time. I was like, are they gay? I was like, possibly, because there was a lot of vibes in there. Was I was like, you know, if this was was made today, it would have been a very different film, and I think I would be far more into that one. Um. Because in the end of the day, Ed Harris was nowhere. Because, not gonna lie, he was one of those like so basically, she's going to die, and and the new mom basically is gonna be exactly doing the same shit as before. Yeah, so, one of my notes actually says like, is this guy a scumbag or not? Because <laughs> it was just like I just can't tell if he's just like an absent father or it's just they're just not interested in including him in the story. I don't know. Yeah, I'm glad that um. You know, after the Showgirls episode, in which I was having a lot of, like, you know, confused reactions from Mary and Craig, it's not just me that gets, uh, you know, confused reactions <laughs> from people when uh, saying certain reactions to films. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely some looks you had during some of those takes and stuff. Yeah, you know, but again, it's one of those things that I can't hate on it because I don't think it's a bad film, but it is that kind of sort of like the, that fine line between like forgettable and passable it's is that is that middle right there i mean if you're not able to step on uh uh hate on it then step aside is all i'm gonna say i was gonna say i am so ready to hate on this so <laughs> we're gonna get into it. wow okay yeah i think that that's what's interesting when craig was just like oh i'm with you mary we're gonna fight the battle i was like i'm not quite sure if there needs to be you know like me and steph would be that much on the other side 
but maybe I'm right in the sense that I think that we both think that it's just like, it's fine, <laughs> but I don't think, I didn't hate it. Um, I think I do agree with Mary in the sense that like, I I was thought the exact same thing. I was like, if it wasn't for this cast, this would be a completely different film. But I didn't think of it in the sense of like, because the script is so weak or bad, it actually just made me think, you know what? A lot of films, sometimes I think people are a bit too harsh to kind of like directors and writers. I think you do need to just have like the right person for the material to like really pull it off, um, especially with a schmaltzy kind of like film like this. So I think that in the writing process, I think there was some nice moments. I think Steph is right that there's certain scenes that stood out. I wouldn't say the restaurant one for me, probably a different example of that. Um, but they're also like other films we've discussed recently in which I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I know where this is going or it's keeping me entertained. There's, you know, like some action happening. There's some, you know, nice story beats, some nice emotional moments. But then it would be like, where did that come from? And what the hell is this conversation? There was a lot of weird choices and a lot of weird lines in this, which did make me kind of look down on the film a bit more. Um, and there was some directions i wish they went in and they didn't quite go hard enough and i don't know again if that's kind of the time or the chris columbusness of it but um yeah i i think you know this is pretty harmless film i think you're right in the sense like it's you know a bit forgettable um but i think it did have some nice moments it's a good kind of like representation of the actors but it did also make me think like this was like a big time for divorce movies but i think a lot of that is because you look at like the start of the decade or whatever with the 90s with Mrs. Doubtfire and I'm like that's where throughout all of this I was just like you are no Mrs. Doubtfire I was like even if you take out the comedy Robin Williams you know becoming the character the old woman angle in that I think that for me personally I think that that film beautifully touches on some of the elements of divorce and like parents of families being torn apart and has like some really nice moments in it and I think that this film touches on elements of that but also they've got the cancer storyline to go with as well and the whole like new mum thing so it's balancing and juggling a few things and I don't think it ever like pulls off any one of them like exceptionally well I think it's like fair for all of them but I think if the central part of it is divorce which is most of what the conflict is about um for me you know this is no mrs doubtfire as, as i said like i'll say one everything about it and which is a sort of like summary to everything uh we said that it has all those issues that he has and we have, still haven't gone to the other two who absolutely hate it and there are five people credited as writers so out of those all those five people that's the end result is that is a uh, uh, yeah that's problematic. Five writers and the dialogue still came out with things like, would you and your wife like to look at a menu? Or when she lied and told her her painting was good? Or don't you walk out on your family? No, that's your job. <laughs> or I yeah. can have their past and you can have their future. Some of the worst dialogue I have ever heard. And I've watched a lot of bad films. I, I just think this is a poorly constructed film. Um, I agree. I think that the writing issues... Uh, I think the dialogue is basically just they're trying to f come up with whatever seems like an absolute zinger for the time as opposed to dealing with character. Because I think there are just times in which there are times in which, especially with the children, they just seem to flip flop as to who exactly they want to hate on in any given scene. Sometimes the they'll hate just... is so bizarre because 
there seems to have obviously been a gap, like a long gap before this film started, before Julia Roberts came on the scene, because Susan Sarandon mentions that there was other women. Yeah. And yet the hate is so palpable. And you're like, why? Presumably there's been years and that you're used to this by now. And yet all of a sudden they have these massive flare ups and really shit comebacks. Like, oh, we're going to name the dog Isabel because it smells like you. That's awful. But also just, but also just all, of a, all of a sudden they stop hating her. And then, and then when uh, Jackie is going through all of the issues that she is, like the daughter just starts to hate on her. And I'm just like, Wait, I thought you were fine with your mum. Why are you just now hating on her because she can't give you like the advice that you want about like one boy? Come on! I didn't like how much she flip flopped. She flip flops so much. That whole storyline with it with her and the young boy is one of the worst like side stories. I mean, she's honestly why you exactly like renting like. A model, and she's twelve, and she's like, "Tell him he's bad at snowblowing." Are you kidding me? I like, I actually had to check what age she was supposed to be because I could not believe they were having this conversation. It was bizarre. I mean, the the moment in which I really was like, "What?" <laughs> was when it was like, "Why does she scream during sex?" <laughs> I was like, "Where has yeah, this come I from?" Was just like, I didn't understand why that got brought up, and then she was like, "I like to talk to you about these things," and I was just like, "Okay, fair enough." She had a, you know clever-ish you know like come back in terms but of like never live... mention it again <laughs> i just never mentioned it again she just wanted to bring it up yeah and i was like oh see you obviously know why she screams why did you say that to your own mother yeah like but the fact yeah, it she's... was like she was trying to get a dig in at her mom like in a weird way like look how good dad is at sex but she was but, but at the same time she wanted to dig at her because she was just like how do you know what she sounds like and she was like because i live in america and i was just like oh, okay you know like, i get it but again it was a weird thing to have a dig about <laughs> rather than just yeah. like she makes bad cooking or you know something but, like that but also with the parents as well like it it seems to flip-flop as to whether or not you're going to be lenient towards like the other woman or just outright hatred like the pearl jam thing and i'm just like wait why have you just become this petty i i didn't have too much some, of a problem with that some I, of it yeah. i understand obviously but i think like they just needed to be a bit more consistent with regard with regards to the the characters and the writing yeah i i guess what some of it was expectation again like i think that i kind of didn't know if it was going to go down a very emotional route of like I'm dying and that it's only me and I, you know, my kids are alone and if they don't have somebody and I thought, you know, she might have to find the perfect, you know, like person to take over or something. But I think that's not what I was expecting though. Like I didn't have any expectations going into this. But when it was more like, oh, she's the kind of like not great stepmom, you know, I was glad maybe for Julia Roberts sake, but I guess I felt that it might be too much of a cliche to go with, especially because then she plays quite a, sort of more bold character with Aaron Brockovich later on. Um, but you have a lot of actresses who've played those kind of like more, you know, uh, street smart kind of like characters. You know, I felt here at least, okay, well, you know, she still has a career, you know, they're not like going all in on like, oh, she's just a waste of space. And like, you know, this is why she's terrible. And this is why the man is so much better, blah, blah, blah. No, but the insinuation is that she's a terrible parent because, because she has a career. So Susan Sandman makes this big deal about, you know, she's a mother who stays at home. And then the insinuation is that actually instead of being a role model for Fringe, um, you know, Isabel's a problem because she has a job. 
And then the moment she starts stepping up to the mark as a parent, she gets fired for it. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I get what, what I mean is I think just in terms of the dynamic, I at least thought it was more interesting to have like, okay, well, at least it's just the kind of like the pettiness or the kind of like no, but- tension of the the children just being like, I have an issue with you because you go out with my dad and you're not my mum. And just the element of like, you are a woman who is going out with my ex-husband and are raising my children. It wasn't then, it didn't emphasize her flaws as much to me. It wasn't the like, oh, look, she lives in a box and she's like, you know, got this, like she's out partying all night and she's like playing music. It wasn't this like silly kind of cliche, like she's changed her life and turned it around. You know, I think just the idea of just being like, yeah, she was an okay, nice person. And by the end, that was just shown. You know, I think that is okay, but it also makes it unmemorable. And I'm not giving this any too much credit. I'm just saying why I at least found it appreciative. I also just think that uh, Isabel's character is also written. It's just given some like unnecessarily standoffish moments just out of nowhere. Because like, I, I, that's where I'm just like, I don't know what it is that you want these people to be. Do you want Isabella to just be like the sort of hard worker sort of dealing with like this entire transition or do you want her to just be like taking needless control over over the children's situations like you you just need to pick a track and sort of stay to it and there are just times where i just don't think they necessarily do that all that well no it was like different writers wrote different scenes for the same actors so one writer had this thought in their head that Isabel should be this way but another writer thought she should be something else and then they just put it all together in one big script so it was like she wasn't the same person from scene to scene yeah I think if you can run with like the idea of like oh this is the element that I'm interested in it's okay but I think you are right in the sense that like it seems like different scene to scene different writers have their own ideas and I think that's why I kind of experienced in like oh this is a nice moment but then like another scene I was like okay this just didn't affect me but I think yeah, when you look at it and break it down like you guys are there, you know, I can't deny any of it. And I think that the dialogue, maybe I just find it a bit more funnily bad. But, you know, I think just the fact that the kid says like, um, mommy, do you want me to hate her? Like, you know, he just like says like it outright. And there's was like, which again is like a bad line, as you said, Mary. But I was just like, at least the idea of like, kind of like trying to be something that like they just don't want you to be in the first place is an interesting concept somewhat and the the idea that the mother is like this is what you're meant to do she has like practice at this time and and they they didn't quite explore the whole like you're living your life through her and this is why these lessons are important to tell and i don't know it, it was it was a weird conflict it was like at the end when susan sarandon was like having to go with her about the whole thing with the the boy the model it was like i was on her side and i was like the fact that she was saying like you are shaping them into what they are going to be and they have to make their own mistakes. I think that was important to say, but it was almost as if the film wanted you to be on Julia Roberts' side, but it was like her argument was just didn't make any sense. She was like, you're just living through your child. And I was like, how? She's just explained perfectly well why she's doing what she's doing. I think both of their arguments in that situate, in that entire conversation were just a little bit stupid. Like, if... If I were in that situation and I wanted to have a go at what uh, what Isabel did, I would just be like, why are you hiring like men in their early 20s to go out with my daughter? Like nothing like that. It's just like, oh, she now thinks that lying is going to be the way out of situations. I'm just like, that's your takeaway? That's seriously the thing that you take out of this. 
like when your suggestion of just ignore it, do like do nothing, blank him, basically calls things to be worse. I'm just like you haven't faced any responsibility for your mess in this either. I'm just like, come on. And also, I just don't understand how, as I say, a twelve year old dating was such a bizarre side storyline for this because. I don't know if it was meant to sort of, I don't know if the character was meant to be older originally or whatever, but the, the whole plotline really, really made me feel quite uncomfortable. And just, again, it was a chance to sort of like pit the two parenting styles against each other. Cause obviously it was meant to be like, you know, they thought that Isabel was slightly cooler and younger and knew how to dress better. And, you know, Jackie had like blouses on, which obviously meant she was really mumsy. But everything was, set up in such a binary way so it was like well you can either be a career woman or a parent or you can either be the cool mum or the mumsy mum and it just when those binaries were so strong but the characters were flip-flopping all over the place like nothing made sense i feel like they want like the kids again they looked at mrs doubtfire and said how can we turn those three kids into two you know like it's like in there there was like the older daughter and it was like again they wanted to have like the sort of older teenage daughter but still have like some of the like innocence and youth you know a middle child or something so they were like oh, make her both and you know like you said that's where it's like doesn't make sense that she's going through things that doesn't make quite sense to a 12 year old um yeah i think you know what i tried to hold on to a bit more was just that element of like she is trying but there's not much she can do like the scenes where she picked up the kids from the school or she didn't turn up and then she just arrived and they're like, Hey mommy. And they're like, they just walk off and she was just like left on her own. And I was like, I, you know, I thought that was like impactful to a degree. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, she was there and, you know, like there was no, uh, thanks from, you know, Susan Sarandon's character because she is, you know, bitter about her, um, being their new mum. And I think that, the fact that the whole pill jam thing to me, I think that like set up in a way, the whole fact that she was like, you're going to fly away and like take the kids away and you can't do that because, you know, like I love, you know, Ed Harris and stuff like that. I thought that that worked quite well, but again, the scene just turned so weird. It was again like that one later on where they're arguing about uh, what the daughter did in which suddenly she was like, I'll tell you my secret. And you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, there was no kind of like then further conflict. It was just, she was like, you're going to steal them away and take them away and take them on a plane. And I was like, oh, is, is she actually doing that? Because I think this is just a cover up of the cancer thing. And then the more she defended it, the more I thought like, oh, maybe she is actually thinking of taking them away. But it was just the fact that she then broke down in tears and then she instantly went like, okay, I'll, I'll open myself and I'll completely show my cards now. That I was like, that's disappointing because again i thought you were playing on something dip, like interesting here in which she's trying she's just overly defensive to what this woman is trying to help her and trying to find the truth but she's getting defensive about the whole again similar divorce mother thing of like i need to get my kids away from the father element I feel like you're giving this a depth of thought that it doesn't made it <laughs> well i'm saying it was there i wish it was there but it didn't achieve it kind of thing i was like oh you know it could have been but it's gone <laughs> I mean, this is just what David wants from films in many situations. He wants... <laughs> I want a good film. Oh, no. <laughs> he wants incomplete films, basically. So he can just be like, here's how you complete it. But the thing is, like, there's not... Even with, just within the, within the adults of this film, like, who are you supposed to like? Who are you supposed to be on side with? Like, it's so... It is incomplete. You could make it better, Dave, because there's not... Act, like, it doesn't ever establish itself. It's like, oh, you should quite clearly be on the side of you know, such and such. Or, And I'm not saying that a film has to, again, it shouldn't set up another binary of these people are right and these people are wrong. 
but it just it didn't even give you someone to root for like in all seriousness I did not care what happened to a single person in this film unless Ed Harris was going to fully get me like <laughs> off. just you know we only got a vest which was about the okay, point this this is where I have to slightly differ from Mary because I was also saying what kind of world in which a man am I the only person who seems to think that Ed Harris is not that good looking I was no, like, in yes. fairness, in fairness, I did not think he was attractive at all. Then we started. I started watching this film, and as you know, because I sent it to the <laughs> the group chat, he just sort of walked into his kitchen and he, I noticed he had really nice hands, and I was like, "Head hands? Huh? Oh wow, that's that's um, that's news about sorry. you. I was not expecting to get today. Yeah, sorry. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't know that it'll impact any other Ed Harris film that I ever watched, but just when he walked into his kitchen and he had nice hands, I thought, oh, maybe he has I also, I also just love the fact that David sort of warned me that was going on in, like, the the WDM chat. I didn't realise it was about that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, it just turned into a further thirst chat of other people then. <laughs> so it wasn't just that. You say other people, it was specifically men in their 60s. Yeah. There was a theme. <laughs> I think that my reaction to some of his scenes with Julia Roberts told me all I needed to know. You know, in Friends, when Ross, like, sees his sister and Chandler for the first time, I was a bit, like, not to that degree, but it was, like, I don't know, something seedy about it. I was like, get off it, like, you know, get away. I wanted to come in and, like, latch him away from it. I was just like, no, she's, like, too young for you. I don't know. I was just like, I felt... There was quite a visible age gap. I will give you that. Like, he definitely looks older than her. Because I've made, my main experience with him is being in Westworld. Is the man yeah. uh, the man in black, is it? So, like, there yeah, he is yeah. a lot older now, you know, having recently played that role. So that's where I can only see him as, like, an old man. <laughs> and I think Susan Sarandon has visibly aged since Rocky Horror Picture Show. So I was like, this is interesting because sometimes in these films, like in the 90s, it is like your Julia Roberts, the parents, you know, and they're, they're kind of like 30 mid middle aged sort of like hip, cool, young parents or something like that. But for them to be so visibly then like older, but I don't know if I was aging them in my head because I know that they're what they look like now and they're older people. But as you said, Mary, they were dressed. Oh, okay, them. well, okay. Old people, how dare you? Julia Roberts still looks great. What are you on about? No, I'm talking about no, like no, no, Susan no, no. He's Sarandon. He's calling Julia Roberts young. Yeah, I'm, young, say, yeah I'm saying Susan Sarandon and, you know. And... Whoa, 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 whoa. Susan Sarandon looks great. What are you on about? <laughs> Earlier in the film, like, you just see a bit more visible wrinkles and aging. And I felt that that was the same with the father. And that's why, like, when he was in the white vest, and I was like, oh, he just seemed like an old man. And, like, you know, he was just like. No, I thought he looked hot. <laughs> <And> <laughs> And then tongue pain, playing tonsil tennis, and I was just like with their tongues and kissing. I was like, I was like eating food at the time. I was like, this is too much. <laughs> Dave, did you watch a porno version of this? Because I swear <laughs> I never saw tongues. I, I I'm gonna say as well. How graphically were you like investigating every single like pixel of the screen? Yeah. Because I don't remember that either. There was definitely the scene near the beginning where they were like kissing each other, and she was like up on his lap, and they were like really like making out, and I was just like. Maybe because well, I was, was eating. Was I in the kitchen on the, on the counter? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so it was like... That's I was... when I thought he had nice hands. Maybe yeah. I wasn't looking You were too in the distracted, right yes, yeah. yeah. And yeah. also, like, I'll give it... The proposal was a nice idea, but that was also when I was still like, is this oh, no. guy a scumbag? Oh, okay, get up. And, and, and it's stepping on this one. Sorry, you're making your proposal to, for you, to your new wife, and the majority of us is discussing how your previous marriage failed. <laughs> Yeah. This no. exact 
like yeah, this. I'm not saying I'm. I'm saying it's a nice idea conceptually. I'm saying like in the context of everything, I was a bit like, "What the hell is this about?" And it was like, even just the fact he's like, "I'm just gonna wake you up and do this like really weird, like random romantic gesture," especially with everything think, else going on. I do just think this is where we have to sort of bring it back to the writers a bit because I think the main credit you're mostly giving this film, apart from the performances, and I agree. I I think. I think like the way in which the material is delivered, I think is quite is quite strong. But it definite but it definitely seems that the only thing you're majorly able to credit is sort of the ideas that they're going for. Which I'll give to an extent. The problem is, and I've had this issue recently, when you have too many ideas and you sort of just run them all, those ideas sort of clash and you don't get the opportunity to fully embrace any of those ideas to a significant extent. So even if I like an individual idea of this film, I just think it goes against something else that the film is presenting. So it becomes a lot harder for me to know exactly what it is the main message that the film wants to present is in the first place. Mm. Well, I think that does go to like a, an element of what we were saying is that, you know, juggling too many parts is it's, you know, what I was like interested in, you could just run with that, that idea of like, you know, how, wanting to shape the children to how you want them to be and dealing with a new mother. Like that could have just been the film in itself without even the cancer storyline. And I think that when you look I, at like, I agree. That's why I that's why I yeah. don't give this film credit because it doesn't see the strength in those ideas. Yeah, no and this is why I'm this is why I'm always like I focus on the end the end result of whatever comes of the film. Even if it has the best ideas, I will happily just see somebody else take that idea and actually run with it in its own story yeah no and i think in other examples i would give more credit to be like oh at least it was there and it was explored a bit but i do agree i'm not defending this i think that it doesn't run enough with it and i think to touch on what we were mentioning there with the sickness thing if you look then at more you know recent films um i can't remember the name of it the one with julianne moore where she has like you know alzheimer's dementia and still alice that's it yeah it's like a lot more films like that will go all in on like this is about this disease and this focus on that and it's like you know rather than being like let's focus on divorce and how it affects parents and children and like um like a new mother coming in and cancer as well and how terrible cancer is it's like choose a lane and i think that's why they didn't go far enough with the the depiction of it to me because i'm like it's a you know it's a, a tough disease and subject to deal with and i felt that you know chris columbus in some ways didn't go far enough i thought that yes while she looked very ill and she had like you know her clothes changed she looked more pale she didn't have makeup but i was like she didn't lose any hair um you know that i felt that there wasn't enough like visible change throughout the film especially by the end in which you're like this is maybe meant to be the end of her days i didn't think she looked all that much different to like the middle of the film to be honest and i think you just needed to see visibly regardless of whether what stage she's at of the cancer i think it's important to show that emotionally from the children like you are losing somebody they are like going you know like they're getting thinner they're getting paler they're getting less hair you know they're wearing different clothes they can't move um whereas i think they still wanted to keep this idealism there seemed to be like a kind of family friendly approach of like oh no well we can't show you know susan sarandon like that that's what that's what i felt yeah, this is definitely a tell don't show type of film, um, and that's why you get the little infomercial halfway through about her little portable device that's gonna help her. It's just it's yeah, they go into the specifics with the dialogue, which is the word established is really bad, but they don't actually show you anything that might like. I don't understand people that say that they cry at this film because I was not. I might have cried about how bad it was, but 
it because there was so much over explaining or so much bad dialogue pulling you in five or six different directions it, I, the emotional thing wasn't there and you're right maybe the visuals would have helped with that i think this might be the first time that we've had a guest on an episode directly call out something said by another guest <laughs> yeah. on a previous episode sorry <laughs> that's fine i, I think, think it's funny well it though you have i guess had it where like it's probably good karma because craig is just like mary's favorite film <laughs> with the lovely oh, frenzy yes yeah 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 no, like where he's like you know mary i don't understand you <laughs> you know it's that element so we no have... that's fine many therapists have tried <laughs> <laughs> i didn't cry I, you know i think there was some things which i could have been at mm, oh you know that, that's sad and you know i think like when again it's performance probably more than anything i think when susan sarandon has that phone call with her son and she's like saying about seeing him in her dreams and he says like oh we don't need sunscreen and she started to cry i thought that was quite sad um i thought the end like with the cape and like the blanket i thought that was quite a nice touch the the dove that is ridiculous though actually like her holding the dove and like you know i was just like wow okay this is melodramatic as hell but the idea of buying the little kid the present he wanted and doing the magic trick and he was like oh, i was just like i thought that was kind of charming but you know again it was it was in a sea of like nothingness do you know what i mean yeah i do want to say i agree i i i sort of like teared up um during those sorts of things as in like just one eye i didn't i didn't cry uh as alluded to earlier i didn't laugh at anything in this film i did snort like sort of like <laughs> But that was more out of irony or just like, yeah, kind of like situational, not sort of intentional comedy, if you know what I mean. Well, I did actually, sort of gasp at the teeth comment, but that was a gasp, not a laugh. No, I did laugh, but it was uh, for uh, for a couple of things that I noticed in the school play uh, that I was like, oh, the 90s. And it wasn't a laughter as it was funny. It's like, ha. <laughs> Uh, that that shouldn't be the uh, like, and I have a list here. Uh, the two, three main things: why children dressed as Native Americans. Yep. <laughs> uh, a kid holding the uh, Confederate flag. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Clintons. Uh, three yeah. things that have not aged well today. But that whole scene felt like filler. Like, why was that there? There was quite a lot of scenes where I felt like I, I didn't. Like, if you took them out, it would make no difference. That felt like filler to me. Yeah, with the pit, with like both mothers are just like openly talking about like schoolyard drama that's i think yeah. that's where my i think that's where my issue with their relationship came up because they were so pally during that and i'm just like why why are you discussing this it felt like other scenes had been cut before mm, that because yeah. they were like super chatty and discussing and i was like oh have i missed something yeah um but then there's a lot of scenes that do just feel like filler where you you do wonder what was like what was chopped basically yeah the thanksgiving play as well is it me or is there something kind of unnerving i wouldn't say like scary about like the children's faces in the states i don't know why i was like i that that's gonna be in my nightmares at some point i don't know why i just seemed the to thinking be... and also the fact that they felt it appropriate that they were gonna swing a child from like a rope from the <laughs> ceiling as the turkey can i just say i find that i find that school a bit weird as well especially considering uh like the daughter's boyfriend and like apparently what he and his friends called her. Again, I want to remind you that she is 12 <laughs> and she is openly being called the Virgin Ice Queen. Yeah. That, if and you're frigid. that like, 
yeah, I hear that line and I sort of went to myself, you're 12. I'd hope you're all virgins. And the fact that the kids, like once the boy arrived, they were like, you missed out on that and all this kind of stuff. It's just like, what? <laughs> just like, ha, loser. And yeah. I'm like, I could take you all in a fight right now. I you swear. were all with him. Like none of you, like all of you should be like, if this situation that she's created, it was to succeed. Like all of them should be like, oh damn, we all like missed an opportunity there. Not like just laughing at the one kid. It did make yeah. me laugh as well. Like I think I'd be pissed if I was that actor, like growing up because they've obviously told him like, oh, be like, you know, amazed by this guy. So the fact that the boys are, oh, <laughs> if the boy was like, damn, he is hot. And it was just like this weird moment in which they're not only as inappropriate that she is like being like, yeah, I'm going to go like speak to this like 20 year old man or however old he was. But then like all like the boys were like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like I, strange. Actually, that does remind me there was one line. It's in that scene that did make me laugh. It's more the delivery more than anything. It's when uh, it's when Jackie turns up and sees the boyfriend. And it's just like, haven't I seen him half naked somewhere before? And she just goes, no, he was fully clothed for the Calvin Klein. Yeah. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> that sort of delivery did make me laugh. Yeah. And then I just sort of love those kinds of jokes. Yeah. Everything else about it was creepy. <laughs> yeah, I think they pull off Like the fact she stuff. said she would find her someone even if she has to go to an escort service. Yeah, that was yeah. odd. And again, it goes back to the weird, like, you know, does she scream during sex? I was like, why is this you? Why are you? And I, that's why I always felt with the scenes with the mother, it felt too much like, and now children ask questions. You know, it was always like, mommy, can I catch cancer? And like, you know, and that was like, what? Like, what are you suggesting that like a child is like, I want to get away from my mother. Like, what if I catch her? I don't want to die. You know, I was like, this doesn't show the sun in like the best light, you know, considering again, like scene to scene, there's other moments in which he's like, you know, I'm going to miss you and stuff like that. And it's just, they were so back and forth and, you know, I, I couldn't like knock it too much. The fact that the kid said he was a telepathetic, I thought was quite funny, but you know, that apart from that, it's yeah, very, very hit and miss. I mean, that's where the kind of sort of issue kind of lies down. It's the, it's the two issues I had while I was watching it is that these writers, which was a lot of writers in Hollywood uh, during that time, they do not know how to write children. Uh, and also they do not know how to write, not always, but there's a lot of times that I don't know how to write a compelling romance because in the end of the day, it's supposed to be a romance between uh, Julia Roberts and Harris. And that was the part which I had the biggest issue is the fact that because they're not pulling punches on Isabel and, and like left and right by everyone. She's been left alone to take care of the children that hate her to try to work out with the mom that hates her. And throughout of it, I'm like, why are you there? Just leave. You have a career. Just parent them. You, they haven't given me any reason why she's there, why she, she has to, to put up with this. And then she says that she is in love with Ed Harris. But they're like, yeah, but you haven't showed us why. Like, you haven't showed us to why they're in love, why she loves him, she loves him that much to deal with all these things. And, and yeah, and even the idea that they dated for a year and then moved in in the, la like in the latest month, that even that I'm like, you know, like you are a working woman in New York, to some degree you're, you're intelligent and you're very self-aware. 
why did you move in with that guy with the child with his children? Like, I don't understand why you did that. I just they, they should have developed that relationship a lot more. And if they give if they've done it right and starting like giving a reasoning behind it, then I would be like, well, at least you know it's for him, or at least even you know even telling us that she actually ended up falling for the kids, like she actually does care about them. Because in the beginning, it only felt she was trying to take the favor because of him, but not because she actually cared for them. I mean, obviously, later on, she obviously does change somehow. But yeah, but I, but, but throughout, I just felt that she didn't deserve this. She could just move on because there's no point to do this, especially when you only see your fiance now only the weekends. Well, that's why, again, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire does it better, Prius Brosnan, you know, you can see like, oh, you know, I understand why she's like gone for him over Robin Williams, etc. But also just, it is the choose a lane thing, isn't it? It's like my expectation. And I think that that's why what you guys are describing there is why this might've worked better is, you know, if you want to go with that, like, you know, are my children in safe hands when I die element is like, would it have been better to just take out the father altogether and, you know, have some sort of adoption storyline or, or something, you know, like a kind of adoptive mother, stepmom in some other kind of role or something like that. You know, older sister, maybe auntie, I don't know, but go oh, with that. Romans. Yeah, the yeah. saying, I just, it's yes. there. Um, but also, I, I, I don't think it's there. I think that's optimistic. Sorry, Steph. <laughs> but, um, but just also, give me this one fun fiction. Okay. <laughs> but if, uh, if you weren't to go with that, it's again, focus more on the kind of like dynamic of the divorce and like the, you know, the trickiness of like how he maybe is now in love. Like, like I said, there wasn't, you know, the, the relationship didn't seem investable. And I, I think that's why I struggled with like, is this guy a scumbag or not? Because there's so many times in which you are told things in which like Susan Sarandon says, you're a great father. And I'm like, I haven't seen that though. Like I've never seen this guy be a good dad. And that's the problem. I don't know if it's a part of just 90s approaches to masculinity at that time in which like, she's like, somebody needs to pick the kids up. And the fact that like, I'm like, why is it never like, you know, I'm trying to look back and it's like, obviously the roles of, you know, men and women has always been very unbalanced and unfair, but it's almost as if the film should have commentated on that. Like, why is it that he was never considered to pick up the children? Why was it just Julia Roberts was the only one who could like send them to school, give them their breakfast? Why couldn't he do any of that? Like, regardless of his career. And then why isn't that a bigger part of the story? If his career takes over everything, why isn't that like why his relationship with his children is falling apart which it seems to suggest at the beginning that he's not a good father because that's what susan sarandon's telling us but then later on she's like you're a fantastic father and you're like i don't know (laughs) what type of father you are it's confusing yeah this is where i also just think that the film needs to decide exactly who the protagonist is because i think for the first half of the film you get the sense that this is very much meant to be isabella's story that it's very much meant to be her sort of adapting to the life of now being some form of mother figure to these children. But then halfway through the, when the cancer is introduced, a lot more of it is just Jackie's story insofar as her having to come to terms with everything that's going on. And I'm just like, well, given the dynamics you were setting up the first half of the film, you're now just very much shunting away from from that perspective in, in lieu of this. And this is where I think it's like unbalanced. And this is where like, like David talking about the expectations of this story of just it's meant to be like a mother coming to terms with what's going to happen to her children. 
yeah, that probably should have just been happening the entire way through. Um, because then at least it makes it very clear that this is meant to be like the story of the person taking over, especially given the film is called Stepmom. Like it it feels weird to me that you would make that dynamic specifically clear. Well, that's why it's weird at the end as well. And that's why, again, I, I felt that they didn't land, you know, like what that could have been an ideal opportunity of where she said, like, like Julia Roberts is saving this, you know, with her emotion and parts of the script are okay. But where she's describing like her daughter getting married in the future. But I was just confused about their motives. It's like, and I'm scared that, you know, she will like ask, like, you know, or like look and like wonder, like, you know, a wish her mum was, was there. And then Susan, which I think is a horrible thing to say. Yeah, but also, so Susan Sarandon's fear makes sense that she's like, I'm scared that she like won't feel that, which I think is perfectly yeah. understandable. Makes sense from her as the central character, but I don't understand why Julia Roberts would fear her asking that. And I'm like, what are you saying that you want to to see you as a mother? I was like, I just didn't understand what they were going for there. It was, I, it was no, I understand what they wanted to go. With. They just absolutely phrased it horribly. Yeah, 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 that's why. Yeah, they wanted to go with the idea that specifically she wants to feel like when the time comes, she will be enough. So she doesn't want her to think, I wish my mum were her here insofar as like emotionally she doesn't have support and the only one who could support her is the mother. The way it obviously comes across is that she doesn't want her thinking about her mother at all, which is stupid. Or worse, basically, I think, I think you're going to be dead for all these milestones and I'm going to be here, which is how I took it. Yeah. I think what it needed to be is, I think it should have been something along the lines of, I need my mother here. Yeah. As in, like, she's the only one who, she's the only one who could help me. Uh, and then Susan's random just have the fear of just... Uh, my biggest fear is that she doesn't she doesn't need me, which again I think is like I think that's perfectly balanced yeah. as a situation. Perfect like, like she basically she can't fill she's worried she can't fill the void and she's worried that she'll there will be a void and she'll forget about it. Yeah. So for exact uh so for example, I mean this might be slightly personal, but people sort of know about this now. Like I recently lost my stepfather and there are gonna be situations in my life going forward that I very much would like him around. Which is why I would say, I wish he were here right now. Um, I don't want anyone fucking telling me, it's like, no, you don't. No, you don't, because I'm here instead. Exactly. I think, yeah, it's, it's too, I think it's too bad that they don't hit the landing with that emotional message. I'll probably say that I think, again, this is Chris Columbus coming through. I think, like, the end shot, despite the music again being cheesy, I think the thing of, like, her holding her hand. Again, performance-wise, I thought that was a, a decent, nice ending-ish. Yeah, I, I am. So, but it was I, so ambiguous. Like yeah. your smiles were like normal smiles. Everyone, like they both looked very like pained about the whole situation. So, in an, in a way, the ending is like ambiguous because it's like, is she sort of giving her her blessing? Because the two of them are sitting there looking like they're having the worst time ever. Well, so. I, I felt that it was in the situation of like you know, I still can't like fully accept you because you know I am these children's mother. But I think my focus was in on Julia Roberts. And again, that adds to the whole, like, well, who's the central character? Because the ending suggests that she is, but, like, the rest of the film doesn't. But I thought that she at least pulled off the, like, oh, okay, I can feel, like, accepted now or, like, um, that she's okay with me kind of thing. And, like, her holding her hand back, I was like, her in herself worked. But, yes, I, I agree that it just was still kind of confusing and a bit bit off for everyone. 
I'm also surprised. Um, I, 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 I feel like this might be one of the only illness film stories that I've seen, where the person who is ill is still alive by the end of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and like it's an interesting. Totally thought when he was going up to get his presents that he was going to open the door. And... Oh, completely is also what yeah. I, is what I thought. That's the only expectation I had. But like, um, and I think that also sort of muddies the water as to exactly who is meant to be the focus of this story. Um, and also just makes it all that more insulting that like ain't no mounting high enough is playing in the background as if like yeah this is a happy ending and I'm just going like she's gonna die soon like don't try and cover this up because she's still alive okay take those cassettes rewind them and play them again because it's time for VHS Corner so this time Mary is going to be talking us through uh, some of the behind the scenes of this film so take it away Mary thank you so according to IMDB Molly Ringwald was actually the first choice to play Isabel Kelly with the role being specifically written for her. So I feel like that would have taken the film off in a completely different slant. Um, the film was dedicated to Irene Columbus, who obviously is Chris's mother, who passed away from cancer the year before the film came out. Julia Roberts and Susan Sarandon were so unimpressed by the initial script that they hired three writers to rework it before agreeing to work on the film. And the scene in which Ed Harris's character proposes to Julia Roberts is actually written by Julia Roberts herself. And a couple of weird ones. Bizarrely, Susan Strandon's PR team spreads really horrible rumours during the shoot that she and Roberts absolutely hated each other. And this was confirmed in a tweet by Susan Sarandon years later. And if you want a, a wee bit of 1990s nostalgia, the film lost out on the number one US box office slot to Patch Adams. Ooh. Robin Williams coming in there again. <laughs> oh, God. Going from one problematic cancer story to a much more worse problematic story about health. That did make me chuckle when I read that. I was like, there's no way these two cancer films <laughs> were competing against <laughs> oh, each other. For, oh, dear well, apparently they were. A lot of that gives more context and makes sense to some of the stuff in there, though. Like the the Ed Harris proposal scene, that makes sense now why it seems more like, oh, this is such a romantic gesture which doesn't fit at all with this character or this scene or this film. Uh, so that, you know, that, that that's one element that, that stands out there. And I will say, I, I think that the tribute at the end, I did think was, you know, it, it's, it's hard not to be like, oh, what a nice thing. You know, you're not going to be like, oh, it's horrible. But I think considering the fact it's his mother and it's a cancer storyline, and that there were a lot of, you know, emotional and kind of like touching moments in the film. I think that that at least wrapped it up in some way for me. Like, oh, okay, that that's, you know, nice. I know that there is a bit more kind of like weight or reasoning behind why he's done this rather than just kind of like for melodrama. Right. Well, as we've already alluded to, that this film is in some ways not as memorable as we would have liked. Um, but I think then based on like knowing a lot of our reactions and a lot of the trivia it's best to get to the kind of like what we think in terms of how it should be remembered uh, so we'll now go to the movie vault for anyone new to the podcast we like to think of this as a time capsule of memorable movies for someone to dig up in the future so should stepmom from 1998 gain the honor of a place in our movie vault and be remembered for all time um, let's go for Steph first because I think I might know the answer from other 
other people. Nah, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, I mean, this is the part which I will have to give a reasoning, uh, even though everything we've been saying in the last I hour and a half is yeah. not like enough. But no, okay, I'll, I'll as the more like like middle person in this situation. Uh, I don't think so, uh, mainly because, like we said, it is quite forgettable. Uh, like, I forgot about it, and I've seen it multiple times on TV when I was a kid. Uh, not by choice, I didn't state that. Um, it is not the best from Chris Columbus. It's definitely not the best from Julia Roberts, also Sarandon, especially Sarandon. Uh, actually, everyone discussed did a lot of better work before and after this, um, I could easily like name like 10 better Ed Harris films and five better films that he was even more hot than this one. Hmm. Um, Mary can't name 10 better Julia Roberts films. <laughs> <laughs> but, to be fair, yeah. I haven't even named Ed Harris films at this moment in time. I just have never noticed him before until this. <laughs> you know what? Ed Harris in Westworld with that specific costume, I'm, I'm not going to lie, it, it is fit. Not, I'm not gonna be against it. If someone came to me and be like, "Oh, I know I have the Westworld so hard," I'm like, "Yeah, I can see that." But yeah, but because of the fact that all of those issues that we said, stepmom does definitely does not deserve to be in the vaults. It, it I, to be honest, I'm not even sure if it's even worth the single viewing. Wow, to be honest, yeah. I like okay, like if you want to do it like for an academic research on the people who worked in it. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Why not? But overall, I don't think it was that worth it. Like, even with other films that you guys discussed before, like something like Showgirls. With Showgirls, I do think hmm. I don't, it's definitely a worst film, but you know what? I had a hell of a time with it. I've I've rewarded so many times and I always have a blast. This is not even that kind of bad. It's so mid that even mid would be kind of offended. So, yeah. Nice to see Steph revealing themselves as a big fan of littering there. <laughs> <laughs> but also having their Kim Woodburn big brother moment of like, oh, I've had a wonderful time. <laughs> I've had a wonderful evening <laughs> after watching Step <laughs> show kills. Um, Craig, will you be uh, researching this for an academic essay anytime soon? At best, I just have a significant disinterest to this film. Like, that's the thing. I look, I come across as like, I hate this film. I actually don't hate this film. I just, I'm just confused. And just, I just feel basically nothing for this film. And, you know, they, they say that like enjoyment of a film is effectively a bell curve. And the closer you are to zero, the worse it is. That's effectively just how I feel about this film. I feel nothing. So, yeah, nah, let's just toss it. <laughs> And Mary. Uh, no, I will never think of this film again. <laughs> apart from Ed Harris's hands? <laughs> apart, yeah, apart from Ed Harris's hands. Maybe rewatch that scene, see what I was talking about, and not look at his hands. That's your challenge. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one time Mary will go back to this film. Uh, but yeah, uh, you don't have to be telepathetic to uh, be not surprised at any of those answers. <laughs> or is it... Uh, pathetic <laughs> but yeah uh unfortunately not in the movie vault for stepmom sorry shelly uh it, it did ha definitely have some emotional and sad moments um but not strong enough uh for us to want to remember for all time so yeah 
Do you disagree? Let us know. Uh, but now we get to our endgame. We're in the endgame now. Okay, endgame time. This is a game that I like to simply call Funny Reasons to Make You Cry. So this film was obviously pitched to me as it's meant to be a comedy drama, so it's mixed with laughs and tears. Uh, something that we've sort of discussed, ironic in sentiment. But it got me thinking. There are lots of films that are known to make people cry, but I'm sure that there's even more when you consider that some people cry for reasons that were never intended to make you cry in the first place. So what I have did is I've reached out to a, a beautiful community of media watchers, and, that, and by that I mean I made a post on the Facebook group debating pop posting and asked them to send me the dumbest things that they've cried at in films. And what I've done is I've got those films and I'm going to give you a choice of three different things. They might be factors in the film. They might be scenes. They might be music. And I want you to guess of the three things, what made a specific person cry? So is everyone clear on the rules? Mary's like, this is my jam. <laughs> I'm okay, so fantastic. Uh, one small caveat. One of these will actually be me. And I'm not going to say if it is, but if the film is me, it is actually a trick question. It is the one trick question and that everything listed is the thing that made me cry. Okay, so if you think it's the if it's the one trick answer, I want you to put answer trick instead of one, two, three. However, you could only use this guess once. So even if you're wrong, you can never use it again. So think carefully as to whether or not you want to use it. I can't imagine what would make you cry. I feel like I cry at everything and yet I didn't cry at the step one. And I'm like, what's in Craig's head? What would make him cry? Okay. I want you to obviously think about crying doesn't obviously always mean sad. Um, but yeah. Is everyone clear on the rules? Yes. yes. All right, fantastic. But before we get into the game, we need to know what it is we'll be playing for. So as usual, all four of us have film choices this time that we're going to be pitching for this game. And we'll start with mine because I think the link is probably clearest. This film is obviously uh, hampered by the fact that there's a lot of discussion around the idea of the stepmother coming in. And it got me thinking that there are lots of narratives within society that have created this idea of the stepmother being sort of an invasive force of the family. And I wanted to look at the where this necessarily came from. And I thought to myself, it's very clear where the origin of this necessarily comes from. So I chose a film that embodies this aspect. So my film is from 2010 and it very much follows one of the uh, follows one of the traditional stories of just a, uh, of like a stepmother doing the sort of things you'd expect a stepmother to do if you buy into this idea of like the evil stepparent. And I think it's become probably not the most notable story of this genre, but I think probably one of the more popular ones of recent memory, uh, because I think there's a lot of other aspects on top of that. I also think that for what was a sort of uninspired sort of delivery of film this time around, we get probably one of the most dynamic, interesting, funny to watch uh, movie characters of all time. So that is my film. So let's now go to Steph. Tell mm -hmm. us about the film that you would put forward. So uh, the my choice is a 2001 film. Uh, the connection with Stepmom is Julia Roberts. Sorry, Mary. And 
and say, and it is a quite popular film. Uh, you could say one of the most popular films of his genre. It is an ensemble piece, and it is a very dear film for the fans of the specific director. And and if you are someone like me, you probably are very tired of all, all the YouTube essays about it. Uh, but it is something I do really like as well, so I can't complain much. Okay, interesting. So we have the Julia Roberts film from then. Mary, tell us about your film. So this is a film from 2005, and all I'll say is the connection is one of the lead actors from Stepmom. I don't want to say which one, because I feel like that will give it away. But it's a complete change of tone, probably the type of film that I'm more likely to watch, and certainly the type of film that you would more expect of this person. Okay. Okay, interesting. Uh, to me, it sounds like a hands-on piece by Ed Harris. <laughs> um, <laughs> and finally, David, tell us about your suggestion. Uh, so the connection I'm going for is the idea of like loss and uh, losing a family member, but not in the way of death, uh, more just oh, from... Oh, God for that. Yeah, right, the, go on. The, the actual fact of just distance um, and just like not being able to find somebody as often happens when you lose somebody um and this film uh is got you know as people have mentioned like you know all-time like famous moments this has like uh, one particular scene a moment which is definitely one of like the all-time cinematic moments i think of of being really impactful um and it's very much changing tone um, which I think is important to go away from the drama, uh, but some you know something that has a lot of drama, which is war. So it's a war film, and this film which we watched today uh, obviously has a big element of music with "Ain't No Mountain High Enough," uh, and the connection that this would have to music is that it's got the same name as a electronic pop duo uh, in the music industry as well. So that is my film from 1987. Interesting. Okay, so those are the films. Which one will be chosen? What episode is going to happen next time? We'll have to play the game to find out. So, contestants, are we ready? Yes. Sure, why not? All right, then. So, I should also point out that given the fact that this might be referencing plot points from various films... There might be small spoilers uh, for certain films as we go along. And we're going to start off strong with this one because we've got How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. So which of these factors made an individual who will remain nameless uh, cry? Was it the scene where Hiccup has to say goodbye to Toothless? The scene where Toothless and Hiccup reunite? Or the sight of hiccups, uh, sorry, not hiccups, that God, that would be an interesting, uh, different film. Was it the sight of Toothless's baby dragons? So I want you to DM me in the Zoom chat if you think it is A, B, or C. I mean, there's a very obvious one, but you say dumb reasons. So some of these might be dumber than others. I think it is a, I think it is a scale. 
Okay, so you've both answered the same thing. You've both answered. C? And C is correct. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yep, the sight of babies is enough to get some people going. I mean, um, absolutely cute, though. I do, I, I do kind of agree. Yeah, and the fact that they also appear in like a, a special afterwards as well, where you get to see a lot more of them, uh, is quite endearing. Mary, would just okay. like, they're going to grow those, up one day. No. <laughs> but here's the thing: for those, for those final fifteen minutes of Hidden World, I was crying throughout, so I count everything in there as as spoil something that made me cry. So yeah. Fantastic. So let's let's now move on to uh, another film, which I feel is very much in the same spirit of emotionality as uh, How to Train Your Dragon, uh, which is Furious Seven. Um, which of these things made somebody cry at Furious Seven? Would it be when Vin Diesel's character beats Jason Statham with the line, "The thing about when you fight the street is the street always wins." Is it the end scene with uh, where See You Again is playing with Paul Walker? <laughs> or is it the cars don't fly scene? Can this please be the Craig answer? <laughs> okay, so we've got a, uh, a divergence. So, Steph, you think it is... A. Any reason why you think that might be the case? This is dumb. <laughs> Fair enough. And Mary, you've gone for... B, with the caveat that I've never seen any Fast and Furious films. You have my respect. Um, <laughs> so the answer is A. Oh. It is because of, yeah, they're fighting on top of a, a car park and basically uh, Vin Diesel sort of kicks the floor and then Jason Statham falls through the floor as he says that line. It, that sounds terrible. Oh, it is. I mean, to be clear, I've watched all of the scenes that have been sent to me just so I understand what on earth is going on. Uh, even if I, I have no intention of watching the entirety of the film. But a film that I have seen all the way through, uh, so I can talk a lot more about this, is uh, I was sent uh, The Last Jedi. So, which of these factors made someone cry? Was it... The discussion of capitalism on the gambling planet that I can't remember the name of. Was it when Leia was flying through space? Or was it uh, the dream flashback of Luke trying to kill uh, Ben Solo? Canto Bite is the plan, by the way. Canto yeah, Bite, yes. Canto Bite, yeah. I don't know. Like, is it not the answers I was expecting? To be honest, well, I feel like the this would be a boring quiz if I was just like, why did someone cry at Titanic? Was it when loads of people died? Mm. Yes. Cool. So again, you've given us diverging answers. Uh, so last round you gave me A, B. Uh, Mary, what have you answered this time? B. Well, yeah, flying through space because that certainly made me cry laughing, but. And Steph, you've answered A, because it's so specific talking about capitalism in Candobite. It's very like precise, sort of like a choice. Like the other two are like well-known things, 
Yeah. But that seems to be like the outcry of the two. Yeah, it's almost as if I was trying to throw you off, which I was. The answer is B, Leia flying through space. Hey. Specifically, the comment that I was given was that after that point, um, the person was, and I quote, crying with disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's Shout out to fear. the person who made the shooting stars meme of that. Go check it out if you've not seen it. It is incredible. It's a thing of beauty, absolutely. Uh, speaking of beauty, we now go on to a very well-renowned film that probably has like some of the less stupid reasons for crying, which is Love Actually. So which of these things made somebody cry in Love Actually? And there's a lot of things to choose from. Uh, was it the cards on the doorstep scene? Was it the Prime Minister's speech? Or was it the child running in the airport? Okay, you have both answered B. Talk us through your thinking. Why do you think it was the Prime Minister's speech? And please don't say because these are debaters and they, they enjoy like a speech. Hmm. I think that it will be someone from the UK and due to the current political climate that we're living in, something so optimistic by a prime a fictional prime minister will make anyone with any sense of heart and morality cry. Okay. Interesting. Mary, do you share that opinion or do you have? No, I only went for that because the Joni Mitchell, you know, Alan Rickman being a bastard with the pendant stroke CD thing wasn't in it. So, okay. Yeah, that, that was my first thought when. So the answer was C. It's the child running through the airport. Uh, oh, that's too this obvious. Never be, it would never occur to me to cry at a child other than to get them banished <laughs> from the film. <laughs> okay, so that was very specific. So I think we'll go to a more general film. And you can't get any more general than everything, everywhere, all at once. So which of these factors made somebody cry? One, was it the googly eye rock scene? Two, was it the sausage finger scene? Or three, was it raconteuille? All of them made me cry. <laughs> oh, we've had the first trick cast. So Mary thinks this is the trick answer. Yeah, I think you cried at all of them. And Steph, you've gone for... I should have gone with the trick one as well, as I literally just said it. But yeah, I went with A because I think one of the very few times a bunch of people in the, in the theatre cried with two rocks. So, is it the trick question? I'm sorry, Mary, but it's not. It's not the trick. Uh, the answer is A. It is the googly uh... eye scene. So, next up, we have a sequel that I never wanted to exist. Um, but this is the life in which we live now, which is Maleficent, uh, Mistress of Evil. I did not expect that film to come up in this. I didn't control what films <laughs> were sent to me, to be fair. Like, there's a few things here that I did not expect to come up, but you're you're gonna you're gonna be taken down like a wild ride, David. So, which of these things in Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, is it uh, when Maleficent finally approves of Aurora's new marriage? Is it uh, when she reveals her brand new costume look? Or is it the home of the Fae scene? I'm not gonna lie, I don't remember this film at all. <laughs> I, I despise this film as I as I despise the original. And for somebody who can vouch that I, I love 
Sleeping Beauty, I despise Maleficent. No, same. Okay, so, uh, Mary, you have answered... I've never seen this film, so I just went for C because I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> I was thinking that a lot of these are like, if you've never seen these, they'll not make much yeah, sense. Yeah, look, look, it's it's not a good film. I don't know what to tell you. Um, Steph, you have answered uh, B because I I could because the one thing I could say that it's good and good well possible with these films is the costume design. So if a costume designer. That's really obsessed with these shits. Yes, maybe. Interesting. The answer I was looking for was A. What? It is when she finally approves of the brand new marriage. Really? Okay. So with a couple of questions to go, is still everything to play for. Steph with three, Mary with two. Those scores, three and two. Do you know what also has numbers? The next film, movie forty-three. So which of these three things made somebody cry? Is it Beals the cat masturbating with a toilet brush? Is it the diarrhea explosion scene? <laughs> or is it the homeschool bullying scene? You see, now I want to put the stepmom into the vault because <laughs> this is not that film. Okay, so Steph, you have answered B, the diarrhea scene, because maybe because it, it is Chris Pratt who does it, right? So if someone who is a fan of Chris Pratt's could find this either extremely hilarious or so devastatingly bad, it's a cry out of misery. And Mary? I put A because it shocked me as you said it. And I thought maybe if the whole film's quite infantile humour, that might be quite funny for people. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that was the trick. Oh. I, <laughs> I famously hate this film and this film traumatised me on a number of levels. Isn't that right, David? Yes. <laughs> to the point of like, but what sort of like emotional reaction to each one of those moments or... Pretty much, I saw each of them, and I was like, "I was like, please make this stop." <laughs> no, that is fair. Yeah. Even just yeah. you reading it out, yes. I feel like I need to go and claim. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Next up, let's go into an unfortunate, uh, unfortunate realm. But we've already mentioned, uh, like Christopher Columbus's uh, relationship to Harry Potter. So bringing in Fantastic Beasts at this point is unavoidable. Uh, we have Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. Which of these things made somebody cry? Is it Dumbledore using dark magic? Is it when the killing decree that Dumbledore as pure of heart? Or is it the Albus Dumbledore is my brother scene? <laughs> All of them are terrible. <laughs> or is it the secret of Dumbledore scene? <laughs> okay, Mary, you have gone for... Again, I just want to head this off by saying I've never seen or read any Harry Potter or Harry Potter universe stuff. But I know that Dumbledore's obviously meant to be a good guy, so I went for A, because if it was a good guy using dark magic, maybe if you were a hardcore fan, you would get really upset. I don't know. Interesting perspective. Steph, you've gone for... I went for B... 
because he's the lame one. And I and I am one of the very few people that I do, I do actually enjoy this film. But okay. yes, that specific scene, I felt a bit okay. That you don't need to do that. It was fine just before. So I thought that would be the one. But I was between that and C. Okay. Uh, so the answer that I was looking for is B. So that's another point for Steph. Yeah. I'm glad that I know the lame answers. <laughs> I think I would have gone for C. Just like it sounds just so silly that like somebody might have burst out laughing. But... Yeah. All right. Let's now go to War for the Planet of the Apes. Yes, let's go. Which of these things made someone cry? Is it the bad ape scene? Is it the um, I did not start this war speech? Or is it seeing the doll get confiscated? Oh, Steph's reaction, they very much influenced their answer. So Steph, you answered. I, I, I said C, because I know it's silly, but I also cried. Oh. But again, I cried five times in that film, so yes. Okay, and then Mary? I think I cried at the bad ape scene, so I went for E. So the answer is C. It is the doll uh, being confiscated. What is, what is the specific bad ape scene? What I'm misremembering. I, I imagine it's the it's the first time we meet Bad Ape and he has his monologue okay. saying that right. you know yeah. you know the humans treat me bad so they yeah. experiment on me. Okay. But me, I'm smart ape. Yeah. Uh, they call me bad, 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 but I managed to escape. So I'm smart. Mm. Which was really and sweet. He was just a, a poor looking mm. weasel uh. and that I I'm pretty sure I did cry at that. So yeah. Okay, so we now come to the one film on this list that I will, I won't lie, I have never heard of. So we go to the electrical life of Louis Wayne. That one with Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, Could be. I I've, don't I've, know. I've meant to watch for a while. Oh, I hope it doesn't spoil it to me now. <laughs> I doubt any of this will be a spoiler. Which of these things made somebody cry? Was it the prism scene? Was it the scene at the academy? Or was it any time a cat was on screen? <laughs> Step just like, damn it. I didn't know this film took place in an academy. <laughs> you have both answered. See, for cats. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, that is the correct answer. <laughs> I have to say, the so last two we... people are like on my, on my own level. I want to meet the other two people. So now we come to the final question of this game. And we go to the very emotional but weird concept film Brother Bear. So Disney. Which of these things is the thing that made someone cry? Is it when the truth about uh so like the little bear who's who's adopted by um the guy uh Coda. I, the guy who's in one? Coda. Hoda, yeah. So is it when the truth about Hoda's mother is revealed? Coda. K. Coda. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> is it when the truth about Coda's mother is revealed? Is it when Kenai transformed back into a bear? Or is it when Kenai's brother dies? Okay, so Steph, you have answered B. 
mainly because the other two seem to be too obvious for someone to, you know, for a dramatic scene for someone to cry for. And I don't know, maybe the person who said it was very into the bear form, which I get it. <laughs> Making a hell of an assumption about the debate community, which probably is <laughs> correct, to be honest. Uh, Mary, you went for... See, I mean, animals dying is all sad. Okay, to be clear, this is a human, uh, but yeah. I, I do oh. agree with you, animals dying, so... I've not seen this one, as you can tell. It's, oh, I, fair I, enough. You said it was about bears, so I was like, oh, bears dying. Yeah, but there's a scene back. where somebody turns yeah, it's where, back into it. So it's like, yeah. yeah, it's about a human that gets turned into a bear. Cool. <laughs> um, but so the answer I was looking for is indeed B, uh, mm. when he's transformed back into a bear. Um... So that means the final point of the game goes to Steph, and it means the final scores. Mary having a respectable three, but the winner of this game is Steph with seven. So congratulations mm. to Steph. I'm glad that I know how <laughs> dumb people are. Yay. <laughs> yeah. And yet again, I'd like to I'd like to say a big thank you to everyone who reached out and sent me your answers. There were lots of films that I didn't get a chance to put on the list. There are lots of films that also I think you have pretty rational reasons for crying at, so I didn't include them in this game. So, Steph, <clears throat> you now have a choice. You have a choice of four films. Do you want to go with the one that you suggested? Do you want to go with the one that Mary would put forward? Or do you want to go with either of us as hosts with our film suggestions? Right. Mary, look at me. Look into my eyes. <laughs> okay. Is it Pride and Prejudice or History of Violence? The latter. <laughs> Uh, oh, I do want to hear you guys talk about that. Yeah, okay, I'm going to go with History of Violence. Okay, so you're going with Mary's choice. So Mary, talk us through the rationale and then officially announce the film that we're watching in the next episode. So I'm very pleased to say that once again, despite being roundly trounced <laughs> in a quiz on this show, my film has somehow still managed to get picked. So the reason I picked this film is because... Um, I thought it'd be a complete change of tone compared to what we've just watched. I love David Cronenberg and I think this has got a really good cast. So obviously you've got Viggo Mortensen in the lead, eh, Maria Bello and Ed Harris. And I feel like this is the type of film you anticipate seeing Ed Harris in way more than a sort of 90s lovey-dovey film. And yeah, enjoy. Fantastic. So David, where can we watch uh, History of Violence? Uh, so similar to Stepmom, you can uh, rent it on most uh, rental services, Sky, Amazon, Apple, and YouTube. And uh, I'm sure you can find it on physical media out there somewhere. Uh, as it, yeah, out in 2005. So yeah, very different dramatic turn as we'd like to see on here as well. And um, yeah, definitely got the link there of uh, the actor, as you said, with uh, I now understand a bit more about why Vigo was mentioned in that chat as well. Yeah, well, you know, I like to keep things a bit different in here. You're never going to get light and breezy off me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, not. This, this better not become a pack, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, if uh, you want to watch along at home and uh, follow our chain of movies, then go check out A History of Violence uh, on any of those sort of rental services or on physical media. And uh, yeah, you can uh, join in the discussion with us and see what we think on our next episode, which will be again even closer to our 100th episode. So yeah, great fun today, uh, talking all about the 90s, about um, problematic uh, children and uh, 
actors saving films potentially, but then it's still being unmemorable and uh, lots of plot holes and uh, odd choices. Uh, it's been quite a big discussion. Thank you both for joining us. Um, Mary, anything you want to shout out? I know the Glasgow Film Festival began ever closer. Yep, that's right. So that starts at the end of the month. Super excited going there on behalf of Movie Scramble. And there's so much going on, including a Q&A with Vigo Mortensen. Ah. There you go. Ah. You're like, yeah, that that was the thinking. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't just crushing on him. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that'll be fun. And uh, Stefano, is there anything you want to shout out? Uh, yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at StephanThings uh, as well on Letterboxd at uh, uh, Steph Yumin Lee. Uh, I try to sort of like do like a small, po- small post for every film I watch uh, in the year. Um, like I said, I'm trying to catch up with uh, any remaining films that have been nominated uh, this year as well as any films of 2023 that I haven't seen yet. Uh, actually, I'm also going to my local independent cinema chapter to watch the opening premiere for the Glasgow Festival, which is like I Meta, which I've been, again, that's one of the films from last year I really wanted to see. Uh, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Great, yeah. Lots of stuff to look out for. And yeah, definitely follow the socials, see all uh, the reactions. Uh, Mary, your, I don't think, uh, your social handles as well. So I am on Twitter and Instagram for the moment. So that's at Miss Mimi Peas, or you can follow the main Movie Scramble channel, which is just at Movie Scramble. Awesome. Yeah, go check them out. Right. Well, uh, thank you both for joining us. Yeah, it should be interesting conversation uh, next time. Talk about history of violence. Uh, Craig, will there be violence <laughs> in terms of uh, change of tone? Uh, how, how are you feeling for next time? Oh, sorry. Uh, I completely forgot, <laughs> much like with this film, that I had to do something. Uh, yeah, girl. <laughs> that's, that's Craig's brother bear impression. Might as well be. Uh, right, okay. Well, yeah, thank you everyone for listening. And uh, yeah, if you haven't checked out Stepmom, go check it out to uh, see if you agree with our thoughts. Do you think it should have gone into the movie vault? And uh, yeah, please do go check out A History of Violence for next time's episode. So have a good time, everyone. Thank you, Steph and Mary, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. See ya. To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Well Good Movies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode. Oh.